The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Scripture reading for today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. Again, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for, this inex- for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. As we approach the end of our fiscal year as a local church, I want to say a few things to you about our, our finances. Number one... I'm thankful to God. I'm thankful to God for his faithfulness, for his great faithfulness to us as a local church. You know, right now I'm thankful to God for the grace right now he's given us in his faithfulness this past year, this past 150 years. You know, pick your time frame and uh, you will be thankful to God with me for his faithfulness to us as a local church. His grace hath brought us safe thus far. And his grace will bring us home. Number two, I'm thankful to you, you members and regular attenders here at Bethlehem. It, it's almost a year, it's, like it's one day off of a year, that I was voted by you into this role. And this past year, I want to thank you for leaning in and loving each other and your financial support and giving and and, 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 and. It has been a good year. Amen. So thank you. Number three. I need to give you a financial update. Over the past several decades, it's not been unusual at all for the giving at Bethlehem to flow in an, in an irregular pattern. Some of you know this. Uh, a typical December, in a typical December, we receive about 20% of the donations for the whole year. So the giving's never linear. And, uh, and so that puts us in this situation each year where we're acutely aware of our church financial need right about now. <laughs> so just, I, I, I see it as manna. You know, I see it like manna. As your days, so shall your strength be. His mercies are new every morning. We don't get to stock God's donations and, and, and giving to this church ahead of time, but 
It all comes down to just in time, just like manna, just like new mercies every morning. And so I don't begrudge that dynamic at all. Uh, So we're asking God to provide for all of our 2022 ministry expenses and missions expenses uh, before the end of the year. You know, God have mercy to cover all of our ministry and missions expenses for 2022 by the donations that come in this year. Um, The staff has done a good job in in keeping expenses under budget, and uh, we are asking God now to provide for, to cover all of those needs, all of that that we have expended in 2022. So here's the specific request, as specific as I'm going to get this morning. Uh, Pray for generous giving in November, keeping pace with the budget aim, and number two, extraordinary giving in December. That's the prayer request. Pray for, for, uh, what was my word? Uh, Generous giving in in November and extraordinary giving in December. And, And, you know... I've been here before. We pray and we, and we go home and we think and we agree. If you're married, we agree and we give. And in January, <laughs> we open our eyes and we say, God provided all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How did he do that? I don't ever know. <laughs> but pray and then... Uh, and then give accordingly. And then just lastly, each week in the pastor's newsletter, we'll keep you informed and updated with financial data that, uh, so you can track how we're doing and what's needed as we approach the end of the year. So now, my aim this morning is that we would be strengthened, that God would strengthen us with his grace for generosity. So let me pray toward that end. Father in heaven, you are able to make all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency, having all our needs met in you, in all things, at all times, we may abound in every good work. That's what the text says. And I trust and I pray that you'll do it in us by your all-sufficient grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So now, the context that we're in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to reach back into chapter 8, is this. There had been a famine that struck Jerusalem. And uh, it's under the reign of Emperor Claudius. The year's about AD 50. And as a result the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem, that the people of the church were hungry. They're suffering. They're starving. And when the Gentile church in Antioch, Syria, heard about this, according to Acts 11, they dispatched Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem with a gift, a financial gift, to support the the church in Jerusalem. And then we know that After that time, Paul, when he was going about planting churches and and establishing churches, he continued to to collect an offering for the the believers back in the church 
in Jerusalem. And so now, in, in Paul's second letter to Corinth, he's addressing this giving for the church in Jerusalem in chapters 8 and 9. Two whole chapters. And starting with the example of the grace-enabled giving of the churches of Macedonia that had, had raised money and, and had donated money to the church in, in Jerusalem, Paul speaks to the believers in Corinth, who probably have more money, and he aims to motivate them to grace-enabled giving by starting out by telling them about the grace of the churches of Macedonia, and then he speaks more directly to them. And so what I want to do, um, I, 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 <laughs> I did, what am I saying? Um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a survey of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and I'm going to highlight these traits of grace-enabled generosity that Paul highlights in these two chapters. He, he does it in order to motivate the Corinthian church to give, and, and it's here in the Bible for God to motivate us to grace-enabled generosity as well. So may the Lord do it in us. So um, eight traits. Eight traits here. Number one. And they all begin in the same way. Grace-enabled generosity is driven by an abundance of joy. So if you're taking notes, just write down, is driven by an abundance of joy. Grace-enabled generosity is driven by an abundance of joy. 2 Corinthians 8.1. Hope you have your Bibles open. We're going to be reading a lot. 2 Corinthians 8.1. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So, the Macedonian believers were in a severe test of affliction. They're experiencing extreme poverty, and yet they overflowed in a wealth of generosity such, they, such that they gave beyond their means. That's not natural human behavior. <laughs> they gave... I mean, we think, what's going on here? It's a grace, verse 1, and it's this abundance of joy that drives them to giving in that context of affliction and need. What kind of joy is that? Turn to Luke 12. Luke 12, 32. There Jesus describes this dynamic of, of joy in, in him and in the kingdom such that it empowers and drives generosity to people in need. Luke 12, 32. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions 
and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, this joy, in my mind, aligns with the fact that the, the Father has in his good pleasure, has given us the kingdom. He's given us himself. He's, he's given us all that he is and promises to be in Christ. He's given us the eternal inheritance in heaven that's ours. Everything is ours. And having God as our treasure and all that he is in promises, we are free to give of our earthly treasure generously to others in need to the work of the gospel and to the advance of the, of the kingdom. With joy. With joy in the, in the surpassing treasure that, that God is for us. And not tangled up with joy from the love of money or joy from the stuff of this earth, but this superior joy enables the generosity to flow even in the midst of affliction and suffering. That's point number one. Number two, grace-enabled generosity, first and foremost, is an offering of ourselves to God. 2 Corinthians 8, 4. <laughs> of the Macedonian believers, Paul says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. So this, this grace-enabled generosity shown by the Macedonian believers was primarily a Godward act. It was, it was an act of worship to the Lord. It reminds me of, of Romans, Romans 12, 1, an act of spiritual worship. And yet it was to meet the needs of other people and, and yet, so, so they've got it straight in their heads that the question isn't merely what should I give to these people in need? What should I give to the church? What should I give to the ministry? It's, it, it's not merely that. It's primarily, Lord, what are you calling me to give to you and to your work? giving ourselves to the Lord, giving our whole selves to the Lord, and in that offering of ourselves to the Lord, there's an expression of giving generously to other people, to the work of the ministry. That's number two. Number three, grace-enabled generosity is an act of spiritual maturity in which to excel. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So, so Paul commends the believers in Corinth for excelling in faith and excelling in speech and excelling in knowledge and excelling in earnestness and even in excelling in their relationship with Paul such that he excels in love for them. They're excelling in everything. 
And then Paul adds, we'll see to it that you excel also in this grace of giving. You know, I think about, you know, I mean, in our own assessment of our own spiritual maturity, like, you know, I know the Bible, I've watched my mouth, I'm growing in holiness, I'm fighting the fight of faith. And Paul adds, how are you doing in giving? Excel there as well in your spiritual maturity. Number four, grace-enabled generosity is an act of Christ-like love. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, namely the example of the Macedonian believers, that your love is also genuine. I'm calling you forth to give generously so that your love would also prove genuine like the Macedonians' love was genuine. You know, that it not be just talk or, or desire or unfulfilled impulse, but it, that it really happened as an act of love. And then, I mean, I have my favorite verses in these two chapters, and this is one of them. 2 Corinthians 8 9, this glimpse of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't you? You do. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. <sighs> so the point there, believers, Show that your love is genuine by grace-enabled generosity to meet the needs of other people. Show the generosity, or show the genuineness of your love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we might become rich. Love one another like that, as he has loved us. That's point number four. Number five, grace-enabled generosity is willing and cheerful. It's all over the two chapters. Second Corinthians 8, 3 they gave of their own accord. 8.4, uh, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this offering. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, no, excuse me, chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a, here it is, willing gift and not an exaction. So they gave of their own accord. They're begging us to give. And then in 9.5, 
Paul says, I want this to be a willing gift, not an exaction. And, and he explains the whole reason that Paul sent ahead uh, his partners was so that the gift would be ready and, and it wouldn't have to be like cobbled together like when Paul shows up. I mean, he, he didn't want it to be like, oh, Paul's here. We better get my wallet. You know, better. He didn't want it to be like that. He wanted it to be thoughtful and planned and you know, the image I get is not Paul breathing down your neck. Are you going to give? Are you going to give? But it's done. It's willing. It's free. Not an exaction. Not a, not a tax. Verse 7, chapter 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's kind of a beautiful picture, isn't it? Give us as you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Willingly, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but cheerfully. That's what grace-enabled generosity looks like. I thought of it. I visited a church once, and in the hallway, this church had listed all the names of the members and how much they had given to date. Really? <laughs> now, I don't know what they would say is the reason for that, but the way it lands on me is we will shame you into giving. Are you keeping up with this guy? It's exactly the opposite of this text here. Willing giving. Cheerful giving. Not reluctant. Not under compulsion. I thought of an example when, uh, when Kathy and I, we, we were 30 years old when we left Bethlehem the first time. So we have two children and my wife is pregnant with our third son, and we're moving to a, a pastoral ministry in Iowa, and, and uh, there's a parsonage, and, you know, so there's a financial package that looks like it's half of what it should be because there's no housing allowance in it, and, you know, how's this going to work? How's this shift? Um, and, and, and we moved to this new church, and, and we're committed to giving our tithe there to the church, and yet, when, before we had left Bethlehem, we had pledged money to Bethlehem to pay for this building for three years. We're like less than a year into it. We got two and a half years left. What are we going to do? We were 30 years old. Bethlehem was the first church that my wife and I owned as ours. This is our church. I've only been in two churches. So what did we do? We thought and talked and prayed. We were eager to fulfill the pledge to Bethlehem. <laughs> Could we afford it? I don't know. <laughs> Would the financial advisors advise us to? I don't think so. Heart. 
willing. Risk, trust, God's provision. And we did it. We did it. How did it work financially? We were not in need. It, it all happened. God provided. We gave. We didn't starve. Our kids were clothed. The baby was born. Just a reflection on this willingness. We've got to do this and do it in faith. That's number five. Grace-enabled generosity is willing and cheerful. Number six. Grace-enabled generosity is empowered by the promise of God. This is my other go-to verse in these two chapters. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's a massive, comprehensive promise of God that describes the grace He will give us, His future grace that will enable our generosity. It's a promise of His, his provision that we'll have all sufficiency in all things at all times. He'll meet our needs. And secondly, He'll do so in such a manner that we may abound in every good work. Meet our needs and enable us to graciously give generously to others. So, so this, I think about it as two parts. One, God give us grace to trust this promise that he'll provide for our needs in all things at all times. I'm so aware that, that we do this individually we do it as in families, and we're doing it as a church. And, and I like the way that we benefit from the cross-pollinating there. Together, let's trust God for his provision. And, and individually in our families, let's trust God for his provision. And, uh, and let's fret not. And um, he will provide for all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 19. It's the first part of the passage. And then the second part, so that we may abound in every good work. That's the promise of future grace. Grace-enabled generosity that's, that's empowered by the X factor of God and His grace and His enablement. a great adventure. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all sufficiency, you may abound in every good work. That's point number six. Grace-enabled generosity is empowered by the promise of God. Number seven Grace-enabled generosity yields a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to read a few verses here. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul writes, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And there's verses 7 and there's verses 8, 7 about 
willing, cheerful, giving. Eight, the promise that we just read. And then nine, 2 Corinthians 9, 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely and has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This quote from the Psalms about the righteous man in his giving in contrast to the wicked. And then, stick with me, verse 10. Well, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, in other words, God has supplied us with seed. He has supplied us with seed. He's provided for our needs. He supplies us with seed. And he will supply us with seed to sow. There it is again. It's much like the promise. Provide for your needs and enable you to, to be generous, to abound in every good work. And, and the quote from the Psalms is interesting because it, it talks about this, this uh, I link it up with this, this uh, bountiful, um, this, what's the bounty? It's this harvest of righteousness in verse 10. This harvest of righteousness in verse 10. In other words, if you're a bountiful giver, you'll reap a bountiful harvest of your righteousness by your generosity to other people. You'll you'll look back and you'll see the impact of your generosity as, that was really good. It was good to, I mean, I could give examples. It was good to give to this building. It was good to give to the work of missions. It was good to give to the, you look back and you'll see this harvest of righteousness. Uh, Paul directly addresses people with means in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, in a similar way. There he writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God's provision. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, righteousness impacting the world, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So my point is that this reaping bountifully, I don't think it's my point, I think it's the point of the passage, this reaping bountifully aligns with this this righteousness that the righteous person has that endures forever by their work. It aligns with this harvest of your righteousness in verse 10. So what does that look like? I'll give you an illustration. Um, There's one man, he was in my former church, he's going to be with the Lord right now, who so embodied grace-enabled giving 
It was amazing, and I know I only knew this much of it. Because he didn't advertise. His name was Jack Bauer, not like Kiefer Sullivan in that Shoot 'em Up TV show. His name was Jack Bauer, and um, just faithful, regular giving to church and missions in our local church, his tithe plus. He, he lived simply. He was a dentist. He, he lived in a duplex so that he could give more money away. He walked to work. Good night. He had a 20-year-old car, probably 25, that was in perfect condition. Just simple living in order to give. He supported particular missionaries in a very father-like way. Like, have them come over, sit at the table, let's talk. I'm going to support you. He supported pastors like me. I'll give you two illustrations. Um, Like I said, he was a dentist. And I said to him, I was sitting in his chair, and I said, are you sure you want to give me free dental care? (laughs) He said, he always called me pastor. Pastor, who do you think you are that I cannot give generously free dental care to you? Like, you kind of put me in my place. <laughs> Another time, he said, Pastor, why don't you come by? Let's talk about our student loan. Our student loan? It was dawning on me that I would not pay for my seminary student loan until my firstborn went to college. And uh, Jack Bauer sat me down. He said, he said, Pastor, how about this? I'll match whatever you pay on that student loan. You increase, I'll increase. We got our student loan paid for. Total generosity, grace-empowered giving. I mean, this guy... He, he caught the vision of World Magazine and donated. He caught the vision of Bethlehem College and Seminary and donated. And on and on. I don't even know the half of it. All to the glory of God. That's what a harvest of righteousness looks like. When you look back over your giving and you see the impact of, of good, of righteousness, of the glory of God, it has come as a result of your gift. Number eight. Grace enabled, grace enabled generosity results in the glory of God. I see it in at least three ways here in this text. God will be glorified in thanksgiving. See it there in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So I say grace-enabled generosity Results in the glory of God as God receives thanksgiving for the gift, for the generosity. And I think about 
all the expressions of thanks. If we were to pause right now, we could have a, a whole Thanksgiving service thanking God for, for the life and ministry of this church. Thank you, Lord, for the relationships of encouragement and, and love that we have here. Thank you for my small group. Thank you for the things I've learned in in Bible classes and in Sunday school classes. Thank you for the life-giving discipleship. Lord, thank you for the ministry to children that, that I'm so thankful that I did not, we were not left alone, my wife and I, to raising our children, but we had a community with us here at this church. Lord, thank you for your spirits working corporate worship week after week in the labor of love that Renee and, and the team put in, along with Chuck and Carol and the rest. Lord, thank you for the staff that holds all the ministry details of this church together uh, week in and week out. There's not me that holds the details together, I promise you. The administration and the AV and the tech team and the building and the property team, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the spreading work, the global work, the global partners in the places that we can name and in the places that we can't name, and in the, for the translation work to get the Bible into different languages and to see the, the unengaged people engaged in the unreached reached and the places without church plants to have the gospel present in a people, in a church. Thank you, Lord, for the churches planted here in the U.S., through us. Thank you for the expressions of mercy to our near neighbors. Thank you for Jericho Road and our partnership there. Thank you, Lord, for, for continuing to raise up laborers for the harvest near and far. And Lord, thank you for this, the team of pastors and elders and deacons and all these servants of yours who band together to make this church work thanksgiving to God from our offerings and generosity as it pours into this people and has all this God-glorifying effect. And for that, we give him thanks. Paul mentions two other ways that I see God glorified in our generosity. Verse 13 by their approval of this service, by, by, by the hungry Jerusalem believers receiving this gift of generosity, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. God will be glorified because of your submission to the gospel. It's a little bit like last week. Because you live worthy of the gospel, reflective of the gospel, by your generosity, God will be glorified. God will be glorified. So the gospel is, is uh, magnified, and that's the second aspect I see here. Second way God is glorified in our generosity. And the last way, this is, this is different. I'm attaching it because it's the same sentence. Verse 14, 
chapter 9, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Isn't that interesting? So I'll put it in the context of this. So the, the Corinthian believers give to the church in Jerusalem. They glorify God because of the way the gospel is expressed in that gift by our contribution, by their contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. And then the saints of Jerusalem long for the believers in Corinth and they pray for them because of the grace of God. Isn't that interesting? So I'm saying that's, that's, a, that's right here in this passage about how they will glorify God. They will glorify God, the recipients of the, of the generosity, by loving the believers who have been generous to them and by praying for them. So it's just it's this sort of communal expression of generosity, what happens. People come together in love for each other in prayer, and God is glorified. Well, there it is. Grace-enabled generosity is, I'll, I'll give them all eight to you quick, driven by abundance of joy in God, an offering of ourselves to God. Number three, an aspect of spiritual maturity in which we should all excel. Number four, an act of Christ-like love. Number five is willing and cheerful. Number six is empowered by the promises of God. Number seven It yields a harvest of righteousness. And number eight, grace-enabled generosity is all to the glory of God. Well, now, to close, we just say, I've informed you of of the financial need. I remember one year someone said to us, I didn't know you had a need. I just gave $100,000 to to uh, focus on the family. Nothing against focus on the family, but but I'm telling you, we have this need. Uh, So number one, I've informed you of the need and pay attention to the newsletter and uh, join us in praying for strong November giving and extraordinary giving in December. (sighs) Go home and and review your giving. Review your giving over the last year. You might look at your giving and say, that's not what I intended to give. And you might want to act correctively. Uh, Review your giving for for the future here, for November and for December. And and if you're married, come to a mind, a, a heartfelt decision, cheerful, not under constraint. How much can we give? God has provided for our needs. He has provided in order that we would give generously. What, how much is he calling us to give? My wife and I talked yesterday and said, we got to do that. I, so in a sense, I got to go home and apply my own sermon before next week with, with my wife. So do it with the elders are going to do it. I want all of you to do it who are members and regular attenders, especially members. Settle on a plan for November and December giving that's cheerful and willing and relies on the promise of God. 9 8.
and pray. And then, step by step, day by day, week by week, give cheerfully and willingly, strengthened by God's grace, and let's see where God lands us in January. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. It is so good. You are, you are so good to us, and your promises are clear and sure. So we rely on you now because you're able to make all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, we may abound in every good work. Do it by your grace, for the glory of your name, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.